Hello and welcome to the Day Health Strategies podcast, Unlocking Accountable Care, conversations on healthcare reform. This podcast features experts in the field talking about the most salient issues in healthcare reform. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Unlocking Accountable Care. I'm your host, Emily George, and today we have the privilege of having Linda Schwimmer, president of the New Jersey Healthcare Quality Institute, on our show today. Welcome, Linda. Thank you, Emily. It's great to be here. Linda is responsible for driving policies that advance healthcare safety, access, and affordability. She's well known for her commitment to drive lasting change that improves healthcare for every person in New Jersey. And on this podcast, we will dive into a few of the things that that you have been exploring in light of our rapidly changing healthcare environment. But first, Linda, I would love for you to just start us off by telling us about your career journey and your current role. Thank you. Um, my journey has been uh, a little bit different than a lot of people in healthcare or healthcare policy. Um, I um, an am an attorney by background, and I started uh, working for the federal government, actually practicing bankruptcy and ERISA law, of all things, um, uh, helping to insure people's pension funds when their pensions went bankrupt. So, Pen, uh, so in a sense, that the agency I worked for is a type of insurance, and I ended up practicing bankruptcy and commercial law, um, and essentially running a small business for many years, and then pivoted back to really what my true love and interest was, and why I went to law school, which is uh, public policy. So I, I left my law firm and I went to work for my state, uh, which is New Jersey, the state legislature. Um, working on public policy, particularly around healthcare reform, um, which New Jersey was a longtime leader in. And I know we're going to talk a little bit about New Jersey's regulated markets. So that will be uh, that, that I think that'll shed some light on this. Um, but I worked for um, our state legislature. And then I went over to our state Department of Banking and Insurance, where I led all the work on legislation and regulations and policy. Um, and then around the time of the Affordable Care Act, uh, went to work for our largest insurer in the state um, and was part of their development of new models of care and payment um, that were coming out of the Affordable Care Act and the, the uh, CMMI or the Innovation Center out at um, Center for Medicaid and Medicare Services. Um, and then I eventually ended up at the Quality Institute, which has been a wonderful fit of all of my different interests and skill sets because uh, we're a not-for-profit organization that's focused on improving safety, quality, and affordability of healthcare for everyone. And through that, I'm able to engage with all of the different stakeholders in healthcare to really drive uh, policy changes and quality improvement. Um, with all of our members. So it's been an interesting journey, and um, I feel very lucky in that uh, I get to go to work every day or now go to go to the room next door to my bedroom every day. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, continue to, to work to uh, 
make our healthcare system safer and more equitable and affordable for everyone, which is um, just a, a, a real, um, uh, just I, I'm very grateful that, that, that I can do, do such great work. Uh, it, it's very fulfilling. Mm-hmm. Well, and it's, it sounds like it. I can really hear that even in your voice as you're describing, you know, the, the different things that you guys are involved in and your, 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 your career journey has sound, it sounds so diverse and it sounds like you've had some really great experiences. Um, I would love for you to just tell us a little bit more about the New Jersey Healthcare Quality Institute. You know, what is it? You've, you've, you've touched on a little bit of the, the, overall mission. Um, but can you tell us a little bit more about some of the, the day-to-day activities that you're involved in? Absolutely. And thank you for asking that. Um, at the Quality Institute, we, um, we are really a convener and we have um, about 115 different organizations in our membership everything from um, most of the health plans that are in New Jersey to the hospital systems, as well as physician and nursing organizations and practices, um, accountable care organizations, uh, pharmaceutical companies, consumer groups, foundations, really um, everyone who shares our mission and vision. And we work on various um, transparency projects, policy change initi- initiatives, quality improvement initiatives. Um, a couple uh, concrete examples. Um, we run a program called the Medicaid Policy Center where we look at uh, changes and develop- developments in Medicaid um, across the country and best practices. Um, we see how things could be applicable to improving our Medicaid system and work very closely with um, both um, our office or division of Medicaid as well as health plans and other groups that are working to support those beneficiaries. Um, We also run a program called the Mayor's Wellness Campaign, which really is our grassroots initiative. We we, uh, look at local data and we provide them with no to the mayors of each community with no to low cost tools and strategies uh, to uh, make their communities um, healthier places to live, work and play. Um, And we even push them to tackle tougher issues such as having those important um, advanced care planning conversations. We've been bringing that to community centers, senior centers, libraries through really creative ways, whether it's a community bucket list or a, or a community read where we pick a book and then we have facilitated conversations to movie nights that then lead mm-hmm. to conversations. Um, it's really all about these important healthcare policy issues, but making them real for people and seeing that, seeing that change happen both at the, the macro and the micro level. Mm-hmm. Well, and <clears throat> jumping a little bit into some of the work you've been doing um, and, and in this understanding a way, about the way that policy impacts um, the, the things that we're doing on the ground, I know that you have been doing a little bit of work and research around small group employers within the state of New Jersey. And from what I understand, there's been a steep decline 
in the New Jersey small group market over the last the last decade, um, with a loss of close to six hundred thousand lives. And I would love for you to just spend a little time talking to us about that and and helping us understand what it what is driving that. Yeah, um, I don't know how uh, how unique we are in this regard. I think that this is a market that um, has struggled nationally, but I think that the decline for us is is even steeper because uh, back when New Jersey had a first created its small employer market, um, we we had a very strong market and we were unique in that New Jersey was one of the a few states to have um, guarantee issue, meaning that um, everybody was guaranteed that you could um, get health care no matter what your health status was. And we had guarantee renewal, meaning that health plans could not refuse to renew a plan um, based on health status of employees within within the employer's group. Um, so as you said, we had a market that had close to a million lives. Um, and it's one that's been cyclical with the economy. So really what I think has led to our steep decline was back when we had the last recession in um, 07, 08, um, just as businesses were, stug- were struggling and, and, and closing, um, and laying people off, we saw steep declines just from the economy, which is similar to what we're, we're unfortunately seeing now. Um, that was exacerbated, though, when the Affordable Care Act came online because there was a change in the definition federally as to what a small group could look like. And so a lot of, um, in fact, the majority of our uh, groups in the small group market were small mom and pop or, you know, father, son, et cetera, uh, type of organizations. And those groups, based on the definition, um, had to go into the individual market. Um, You had to have another individual who was not connected to the owners in order to be defined as a small group. So we saw a lot of movement into the individual market. Um, And then like other insurance markets, when you start to see a lot of migration out of the market and the market gets smaller and smaller, it's tempting the fates and you start to get what's known as the, the downward spiral or the death spiral of a market where you have adverse selection and then only people who really need insurance are not only, but more and more. Uh, It's only the people that need insurance that are going into that market, which then further exacerbates um, the increase in rates. So we've seen uh, some pretty dramatic increases in rates. Um, Our rate, our premiums in the small group market have increased by 38.5% since 2008. Um, and in fact, our small group market is actually more expensive than our individual market, which is that is unique. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's it's prices, 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 and then these other you know uh, related uh, circumstances. Mm-hmm. Wow. Well, and definitely pricing is is a, a consequence of of this. Are there other short term or long term consequences that? Um, that, that you could elaborate on that we should be thinking about? Absolutely. Uh, I think like many other states across the country, 
Um, small employers uh, make up the vast majority of the employers, and and um, having the ability to be able to offer insurance to your employees is something that helps small employers attract and retain uh, high quality employees, um, even in a better market. I mean, now you know people are going to be uh, looking for jobs. But um, in a stronger market, that's one of the ways people can keep keep your better employees. So being able to offer employees to your to offer insurance to yourself and your employees is really critical. And um, it's we really need to think about how we can how we can support small employers and how we can keep these markets vibrant. And so that's really what the Quality Institute has been doing with a lot of its stakeholder partners and subject matter experts is thinking about ways that we can really tackle this and improve our small group market before we, um, you know, get to the point of, of a no return. Absolutely. Well, and um, that being said, I, I mean, it, it would be really interesting to hear more about, um, you know, what are some of those ideas that you have to, to preserve that small business market? And, um, you know, I think for some of our listeners, we hear a lot about, you know, how small businesses are being impacted by some of these policies. But um, are there practical things or ways that we can be thinking about for protecting and encouraging small businesses? Yeah, I, I do think that there are. Now, every state's going to be a little bit different. Um so this is the market that is for uh, employers who have 50 or fewer uh, full-time employees. Mm-hmm. Um, and there is no mandate to provide insurance to those employees. So, um, so that's an issue to think about. Um, we have an individual mandate in our state. And um, we also have a long history of having a small employer market. Our small employer market has um, standardized plans. There are some modifications to them, but having those standardized plans um, does help with shopping and comparison. And and our state um, did not opt into having its own exchange, but this year um, we are going to be launching an individual, our own state-based individual market. Um, and eventually a uh, small group, plans might be able to be sold on that, that marketplace. Um, but for now they're, they're only sold, they're just sold through directly through brokers. Um, we're looking at a couple different things for, for improving, uh, the market. I think if we were in a better economic situation, um, we would be recommending and looking at various tax breaks and tax incentives and things like that. Unfortunately, given everything that's happened due to COVID-19, um, that's probably not in the cards, at least not in the, not in the short term. But some of the other things um, that we're looking at, um, our state right now does not allow um, uh, plans to offer a formulary for, for pharmaceutical benefits. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's something that we've been looking at and that, um, 
we've been given projections that could be uh, significant savings um, to to the market. Um, another idea is really looking at um, some of the um, uh, taxes that are imposed on this market. Um, we have alternative products that are sold to small employers, and those alternative products um, are not subject to the same taxes as the taxes in this market. And so what happens is just by leaving the regulated market, um, employers can save, um, uh, you know, anywhere from two to six percent just out of the gate in taxes and so that's a further drain on this market which is our regulated market which has certain consumer protections that the other markets don't have so thinking about creating a, a level playing field there mm -hmm. um, another issue is the our modified community rating um, we uh we're still two to one for um for age rating in this market. We could go higher under federal law. Um, it's, it's not without controversy, but it's something to think about because um, based on that, um, the younger, young people who are, have younger employees are paying more than they would otherwise pay. And the idea being that if you are purchasing for a group and you can bring those younger employees in at a lower rate, it would it would decrease the overall costs of products in this market. So that's that's a that's a number. And we have a we have a laundry list of of, of ideas that we're um, going to be presenting publicly to the state. Um, the one that I'm really most excited about, which is a longer term idea, but it's really, a, I think, more the more of a game changer idea than some of these ideas, which are, I would describe as sort of more working around the margins, is um, really changing the product itself. I think, I think um, our products that we sell now are um, a function of what was originally created when the market was created back in 1994. And um, what came out of the Affordable Care Act, um, the um, essential health benefits. But those, um, those products uh, still, I don't think that they've really gotten it right. Um, when we look at what our, um, I would describe as a high value plan or a best, ev a best evidence plan, what are the essential things we want to make sure that we're covering for people um, around primary care, preventive care, essential medicines that they need, um, and then, you know, sort of along the lines of the choosing wisely type of campaigns, like really what are the types of care that are going to keep our, our populations healthier for the long term and making sure that we're providing as much coverage as possible and uh, the least out-of-pocket as possible for those things and um, and then higher out-of-pocket on some of the other things which are much lower value. Mm -hmm. It would really be changing. Um, we would have to get a waiver for that and it would really be changing some of the actuarial assumptions and valuations in the plan. But Ultimately, that's really 
the type of change I think we we are going to need to make to have to reduce costs and get people really the higher value care that's more meaningful to them that they need. Yes. Well, you know, it sounds like you have put so much comprehensive thought behind, you know, these different long term and short term solutions for mitigating these consequences. And, you know, when I think about the the people that own small businesses or that are, are running these organizations, um, they're not always necessarily um, like an expert in, in policy or law or really understanding um, the different business aspects that um, they need to consider with how, you know, they're, they're going to provide health insurance for their, their, um, their employees. And I'm curious, has the, has the Quality Institute um, made efforts, you know, to disseminate information or, or how do you guys do education or um, how are you actually, you know, kind of helping people along and understanding the, the impact and, and coming up with solutions for this for themselves? Mm-hmm. You know, small employers really rely upon their brokers more than anybody else. Um, and they, ha- in New Jersey, at least, they have to go through a broker to get their, their insurance to begin with. Mm-hmm. Um, we work closely with the Health Underwriters Association here in New Jersey. We also work closely with a lot of um, business organizations um, and associations that we have. And they're definitely... Um, at the table with us. Um, as we uh, start to work on this best evidence plan, we are going to be uh, side by side with those business organizations as well as, as, well as um, consumer groups. Because like I, like I was saying before, I mean, most of the small businesses are really um, groups of less than five people. So um, you're absolutely right. I mean, these are groups that are buying insurance for themselves, a family member, one or two additional employees. Um, they don't. They don't want to become experts in health insurance. They don't want to spend any more time than they have to on this. Um, they just want to make sure that they're protected and that they're doing right by their employees. And um, as a former small business owner, well, actually. I'm not a business owner at the Quality Institute, but the Quality Institute does purchase in our small state, mm-hmm. small group market. So I do have to go through this process myself. And um, I definitely see how um, how complicated it is and how expensive it is today. So um, having that input and making sure that we're being sensitive um, to small employers' needs is, is critical. And, and, and that's really... Uh, one of the values of the Quality Institute is that we do bring these different stakeholders to the table and think about this in a very practical, pragmatic outcomes-based way. Mm-hmm. Well, and, you know, we're getting close to the end of our time, and um, I would just love to hear from you. What's next? What are what are the, the next steps you're considering for the next month, two months, three months? Where do you go from here? It's, that's such an interesting question right now, right? Um, yeah. I, I, uh, normally we would be having, uh, our big spring conference and bringing everyone together. Um, but, um, we have been 
looking at what our members in our state need and um, putting out a lot of tools and educational programs to meet that need. Um, I'll just touch on a couple real quickly. We just released a report on uh, perinatal care during COVID-19. And um, I'd love to share that link with you because you could share it with all your listeners. But um, so much of our care, whether it's perinatal or, or other types of care, is now going to be a combination of telehealth as well as in-person for the foreseeable future. And so it, it contains a lot of advice and resources, both for clinicians as well as for patients and other caregivers on how to prepare for these changes and what equipment and you'll need at home and how to stay safe and how to, how to keep your practice safe and your, and your health care workers safe. So um, I think it's a fantastic resource. Um, we've also been doing a lot of work for folks on best practices around telehealth. We um, uh, particularly focusing on telehealth for older adults who might have um, a harder time um, using certain new technologies. And we want to make sure that they are getting what they need to get out of their visits with their um, healthcare providers. So um, that's what we've been doing. And um, we are just committed to continuing with our, with our mission and um providing our members with uh, the resources that they need as, as they're on the front lines um, working to protect people uh, during this pandemic. Fantastic. Well, Linda, thank you so much just for joining us on our show today. It was such a pleasure having you. Oh, thank you for the opportunity. I really enjoyed it. Thanks so much, Emily. And all resources that Linda mentioned in this podcast, you can find on our website, www.dayhealthstrategies.com backslash podcast. Um, you will find the link to this as well as the resources that she mentioned. Thank you for tuning in to the Day Health Strategies podcast, Unlocking Accountable Care, Conversations on Healthcare Reform. Day Health Strategies is a Boston-based, mission-driven healthcare consulting firm specializing in providing timely and effective solutions to complex problems in healthcare. To learn more about our work, please visit our website at www.dayhealthstrategies.com or follow us on Twitter at DayHealthStrat. Just a reminder, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the guests and do not necessarily reflect the official policies or positions of Day Health Strategies. Our producer and host is Emily George. Editing is done by Kate Gautam. Special thanks to Purple Planet for the use of their songs.